As you are all aware, I am doing a sermon series on who is Jesus. So I'm just waiting. Excellent. Last week I began the series and we began by looking at the name Jesus and consider the question, can we learn anything from the name Jesus? And I said that Jesus is a divinely appointed name. It is a special name. It is a timely name and it is an effective name. Sorry, it's not working. You'll have to keep up, gentlemen. I also mentioned there's a big difference between knowing of someone and knowing someone. Because you can know of someone but don't really know them at all. Yet Jesus is such a central theme or focal point to our Christian faith. So we're going to need to know him personally. So I ask the question, who is Jesus? And what does it mean to know someone personally? You can't follow or introduce someone unless you know them. If you are going to introduce someone, then you're really going to need to know them. If you are going to love Jesus, then you're going to need to know Jesus. And so that's why we are doing this series. Sorry, I'm on the next slide already, Mark. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, I thank you for sending your son Jesus into this world. I thank you that we as Christians are followers of your son, Jesus. And Lord, as we continue our sermon series, as we continue looking at who your son was, um, I just pray that you will open our hearts, open our minds and prepare us and change us for what you want us to do. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. As you sit here this morning, I want you to think about a question. I'm going to give you time. But other than the fact that you are a Christian, what are three things about yourself you wish everyone else knew? Think about it. What are three things about yourself, other than that you're a Christian, do you wish everyone else knew? Now, I don't know how much luck I'm going to have here. Does anyone want to be game enough and share one? I don't want three, just share one. Yep, Malcolm. Compassionate. Malcolm? Oh, my gosh. And we go downhill quite quickly. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? I don't know. I've been to funerals and you listen to eulogies and eulogies means to speak well of. And so many things are said in a people's eulogy that should have been said while they're alive. But, you know, we all have things that we really wish people knew about ourselves. And obviously, number one is a Christian, but we have other things. Let me encourage you, after the service, when you're sitting having coffee or when you're standing on the side chatting, confront someone and say, hey, what were your three things? Or tell me one. Probably three is going to put them on the spot. You know, when it comes to knowing each other or knowing someone, what they say about themselves is important. When someone tells you about themselves, they are tending to pick on something in the four Ps of the person's life. We all have four Ps in our lives. What are the four Ps? When you use these things, they are passions, priorities, purposes and principles. When someone tells you of themselves, even whether it's deeply or not so deeply, what they are telling you teaches you about them. It teaches you about their passions, their priorities, their purposes and their principles. 
Well, Jesus is no different. He made statements about himself. He said things about himself that he wanted everyone to know. He didn't just say three. He said eight. We know them as the Jesus I am declarations in our Bible. They include things like bread of life, light of the world, door, son of God, good shepherd, the way, the truth and the life. All of Jesus' I am statements are found in John's gospel. Interestingly enough, they are found nowhere else in the other gospels. And I guess that's because one of the main themes of John's gospel is the son of God. The gospel of John is written to prove or to point to the fact that Jesus is the son of God. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to be looking at each of these statements. Why do I want to do this? Because it helps us understand Jesus more. When he is telling us things about himself, he is sharing of us his passions, his priorities, his purpose and his principles. And the more we see and understand and grasp these things, the more we know him. And as I said last week, as the song says, to know, know, know him is to love, love, love him. An interesting starting point, as I just said, these are only ever found in John's gospel. Where else in the Bible do you hear the term I am? Well, God revealed himself to Moses by the name I am, Jehovah. God is a self-existing one. And so one thing we can understand right from the very start, when Jesus used the name I am, he was definitely claiming to be God. He was definitely claiming to be the son of God. And that's why they're all found in John's gospel. In his I am statements, Jesus not only tells us who he is, he also tells us what he can do for us and what we can become through him. To those walking in darkness, he will give you the light of life. We not near fear death because he is the resurrection and the life. Our lives can be fruitful because he is the way, the truth and the life. Each one of the I am statements represents a particular relationship of Jesus to the spiritual need of every human being on earth. Every one of these, we see Jesus' message. He wants us to receive him. Each I am statement is not about the gifts he can give. Each I am statement is about what he can be to us and what he can do in us. In Jesus Christ, the great I am, we have all we need. Today, I'm looking at his statement, I am the bread of life. This statement is the first statement, the first I am recorded, and it is found in John chapter 6. Jesus made this statement after feeding the 5,000. Let me paraphrase for you the beginning of John chapter 6. As the disciples gathered up the pieces of bread and fish that were left over from this miraculous meal, they overheard what the crowd was saying to one another. The crowd was saying, Jesus may be the prophet that Messiah, that the, the Messiah was promised to come. So how easily were we all fed? How easily were we satisfied? I know, let's make him king. Even if he doesn't want to be king, let's make him king. And so at this point, Jesus was at the top of his popularity. So much so that the crowds wanted to take him and make him king. Even if Jesus didn't want to be their king, the crowd would do it by force if necessary. This is why Jesus, when he got wind of this, he put his disciples in a boat. He got them out of the area 
and made them sail back to Capernaum. The disciples were safe in a boat, heading back to Capernaum. Jesus is going to join them, but not in the boat. He chooses to do what only he could do. He chooses to walk across the water in the middle of the night. The next day, the crowd of 5,000 people who had just been fed and gone to bed that night with full bellies, they wake up to find the disciples and Jesus gone. Well, they figured out they couldn't have gone too far. They must have gone over to the other side. So they begin to cross over them themselves in droves to track him down. John 6.24 tells us that they were seeking Jesus. That sounds great, doesn't it? Shouldn't we all do that? Shouldn't we all be going out there and seeking Jesus? But when they found him, Jesus' response is not what we would expect. He doesn't praise them for travelling across the sea to find him. Rather, he challenges them on why they're doing it, why they are seeking him. That's because he knows they are not in reality seeking him the way he should be seeked. Instead of seeking him because they're excited about the great sign that he just did the day before, they are seeking him because he made them full with the bread that he gave them. They are foolishly seeking him, hoping he does more things like that. He's hoping that he gives them more things that are perishable. Anyway, after Jesus has challenged them on why they are following, he begins to tell them about eternal life. Crazy thing is, even after what had happened the day before, once Jesus starts talking about eternal life, do you know what they ask him? They say to him, show me a sign. Even they forgot what happened the day before. They're saying to Jesus, show me a sign. Well, they're helpful people because they help him out. They pick one for him to do. They ask him to do what Moses did. Bring bread down from heaven. I love Jesus' response. Jesus said, Moses didn't do it. And they're all taken back. What do you mean Moses didn't do it? He said, God did it. God did that miracle. And he says, he doesn't need to bring bread down from heaven anymore because that same bread that God sent down from heaven, God is now available to you all. To which they say, give me that bread. That's when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Man, imagine telling someone that you're the bread of life and if they come to you, they will never be hungry or thirsty again. That's pretty tall words. But what did the Lord mean by them? You can call the words in the last part of John chapter 6 a sermon on the bread of life. Even though the verses are actually a dialogue between Jesus and the crowd and the religious leaders, a discussion that begins outside and later moves into the synagogue. In this discussion in John chapter 6, we find some of the most profound words Jesus ever spoke. In this discussion, Jesus gives an example of the process of personal salvation. If you ever want to lead someone to Christ, take them to John chapter 6. We're going to listen to four readings at different times throughout our message today. And now we're going to hear our first one. John 6, 35 to 40.
Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those that Father gives me come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come from heaven and do not do my will, but I do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at that last day. Now, I guess, you know, when I tend to do sermons in exegesis style, I'll go through things verse by verse. I'm not doing that today. We're going right to the end of the chapter, but we're doing a paraphrased version. John 6, 35 to 40. For me, as I said before, this discussion is Jesus teaching us about salvation. It is the Father's will that sinners be saved. He explained that salvation involves both divine sovereignty and human responsibility. The Father gives men and women to the Son, but these men and women must come to him. That is, they must believe that he is the one that has come down from heaven. He assures the crowd that if they do that, if they come to him, nobody who come to him would ever be lost, but they would be raised on the last day. Even death could not rob anyone of salvation. From our human and limited perspective, we cannot see how divine sovereignty and human responsibility can work together. But from God's perspective, there's no conflict. When a church member asked Charles Spurgeon how he reconciled these two things together, he replied, I never try to reconcile friends. The sinner hears, learns and comes as the Father draws him. A mystery, yes. A beautiful reality, yes. So when Jesus calls himself the bread of light that comes down from heaven, he means that he and only he is the giver and sustainer of eternal life. He and only he is the one that can take us to the Father. He and only he provides, always provides, and always has what we need. Jesus uses two key words in this mini-sermon that he's saying. Come and believe. That is his message about salvation. I'm the bread of life. Come to me and believe. To come to Jesus means to believe on him. And to believe on him means to come to him. The two work hand in hand together. This is all great news you would expect all those hearing this to be jumping for joy. But that's not what happened. The last part of the chapter moves away from Jesus teaching them and really to the response of those who are listening. The response of the crowd tells us a lot about the difference between what people want and what people need. So often the very thing people need is most kinds is the last thing that they're actually looking for. Let's look at some of the sad responses of the crowd. Let's go with reading two. I forget who's got it. 
Oh, she's outside. She's running. John six forty one to 51, it says, At this the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that come, came down from heaven. They said, This is not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that came, comes down from heaven, which everyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. Thanks, Jesse. What's the response of the crowd in this passage? Murmuring, grumbling. Five times in this discussion, Jesus referred to himself as the one coming down from heaven. A statement disturbed the religious leaders, for they knew if this is true, then he was claiming to be God. The main issue for the leaders and, and the crowd in this discussion was this. Where did you come from? Jesus said he came down from heaven, but they would not accept it because they knew who his mum was and his dad was. Well, they thought they knew Jesus. They thought they knew who he was and where he come from, but they had no idea. The leaders identified Jesus with Nazareth in Galilee and Bethlehem. Had they investigated the matter a little bit further, had they listened more intently with the one standing before them, they would have understood who Jesus really was. Jesus came to this earth when sinners were in moral and spiritual darkness. The Lord is not far from any sinner. All the sinner has to do is humble themselves and take the gift that God offers, the one he sent that came down from heaven. When Jesus called himself the living bread, he was not claiming to be exactly like the manna. He was claiming to be even greater than the manna that the Israelites received. The manna only sustained life for the Jews and Israelites for a short period of time. But when Jesus gives life, he gives life to the whole world that lasts forever. The Jews ate the manna daily, but he says they all died. But when you receive the living bread, Jesus Christ, you will live forever. When God gave the manna, he gave only a gift. But when Jesus came, he gave of himself as the bread of life. There was no cost to God in sending the manna each day, but he gave his son at a great cost. Jesus closed this part of his message by referring to his flesh, 
a word that will be used six more times before the dialogue is concluded. John 6.51 is the declaration that the Son of God will give himself as a sacrifice for the life of the world. And this causes their next response, where we have reading three. Then the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever he eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. What is the response? They went from murmuring and complaining to arguing. They started to argue amongst themselves. Jesus illustrated that coming and believing by speaking in the terms of eating and drinking. Here we have an example in John's gospel of the people misunderstanding a spiritual truth. The trouble was they were taking what Jesus said about eating flesh and drinking blood as a literal teaching. And no doubt this would cause some concern. Being Orthodox Jews, the listeners knew the divine ban against eating human flesh or drinking any kind of blood. So it is understandable that they started to argue. But we must remember, in all of this discussion, Jesus is talking about believing that he is the bread of life. It is all about believing that he is the one that has come down from heaven. And believing is not merely an intellectual thing. It is not giving an agreement to some doctrine. To come to Jesus and believe on him means to receive him just as you receive food and drink. Just as you eat and drink every day to sustain your life, he's saying if you want a spiritual life, you've got to come and eat and drink of me. To receive this bread means to believe and to submit to him. But as you can see, the leaders still don't quite grasp the Lord's revelation of about eating and drinking or that he himself is the bread of life. Jesus is speaking here about total submission. He's saying to them, if you want to know what life is all about, you've got to eat of me and drink of me. Then you'll understand what life is all about. Just as you take food and drink within your body and it becomes part of you and gives you life, you must receive me in your innermost being. Jesus, as the bread of life, becomes part of you so he can give you life. Come to Christ and yield yourself to him. It means receive him and submit to him on his terms and not ours. Belief, following and submission is Jesus' message to these leaders. And what is their response? Well, let's look at the last reading today. John 6, 60 to 69. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, 
This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would, uh, and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of, the, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. They argued, they grumbled, but now I think we have the saddest response of all. What was the response of the crowd now? They're departing. Our Lord's teaching was hard not only to understand, but hard to follow. But it was, seems it was even harder to accept it and live by it once you understood it. The Jewish leaders both misunderstood his words and rejected them. They were offended by what he taught. They stumbled over the fact that he claimed to come down from heaven, meaning he was God. They also stumbled over the idea that he said, come and eat my flesh and drink my blood to be saved, another thing they fully didn't grasp. John chapter 6 tells us that they grumbled, they mumbled, they argued, they whined. And then, as you just heard, we get to verse 66. We read what I believe is one of the saddest verses in all our scriptures. It says this, Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Many turned away. Even after hearing the words of salvation and life from the bread of life that stood before them, verse 666 gives this sad fact. Ultimately, their response to the message was they left in droves. They turned their back and they walked away. The result of this message was the loss of most of our Lord's disciples that day. They went back to their old life. They went back to their old religion and to their old hopeless situation. In grace, our Lord fed the hungry people, but in truth, he also fed them with the true word of God. But the sad reality was this, and this is why he challenged them right at the start about seeking him. They wanted the food, but they didn't want the truth. And in the end, most of them abandoned Jesus and refused to walk with him anymore. He lost his crowd with one sermon that day. Many turned their back on him and walked away. So Jesus turned his, to his closest disciples with a question that must have been hard for them to ask and answer. He said to them, do you want to leave too? Thankfully, good old Peter came through for Jesus. He spoke up for the group and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter understood what the crowd missed. He wasn't following Jesus for fish sandwiches. He wasn't following Jesus to start a Jewish revolt against Rome to be made forced king. He followed Jesus because he believed and knew that Jesus was the Holy One of God, the Messiah, 
the one sent down from heaven, the bread of life. But what can we take from this today? Well, for me, in this chapter, in this statement, in this story, we see a great challenge and three blessings. Let me start with this, the great challenge. Let me ask you a very hard question. What do you do with bread? You eat it. You can cook it in toast, but eventually there's really only one thing you do with bread. What's the purpose of bread? You eat it. You've got to eat it. And that's Jesus' point throughout this whole message in John chapter 6. If you want eternal life, you've got to eat the living bread that stands before you. Do you know the preaching of the word of God always leads to a sifting of hearts of the listeners? It should always make us squirm a little bit because what he's saying is if you want this eternal life, the bread of life stands before you, you've only got to do one thing with it, eat it. To eat and drink of him means surrendering all our hopes, all our aspirations and all our expectations and following him. If we are to eat and drink of him, then we need to do it because he says so. How do we do it? Well, we need to align our passions, our priorities, our purposes and our principles with his so they both work together. That's how you eat and drink. Or you can go even deeper. If we are to be committed to eating and drinking of Jesus, then it's a, sometimes it's a matter of putting aside our passions, priorities, purposes and principles so we follow his. St Augustine rightly observed that every single person had a God-shaped vacuum in his soul. We can attempt to fill that cavity with a host of other things, he said, but finally we discover nothing satisfies thirst for our redemption and hunger for our significance except Jesus Christ, the living bread, and his gospel. What's your response? Will you walk away? Are you going to say, this is too hard? I'm happy to give God my Sundays, but not really my Mondays. When you hear that God just doesn't want a part of you, God wants you to eat and drink of him and surrender all to him. What is your response? Do you think it's hard and walk away? Or are you like Peter? Will you say to him, Lord, to whom shall I go? You have the words of eternal life. I believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. That's the great challenge. And as I said, there's also three great blessings in this. And firstly, there's a blessing to the whole world. This statement shows how relevant Jesus Christ is to the whole world. Why do I say that? Because bread is one food that you will find in almost every country of the world. Bread is served everywhere. It has many uses and many forms. But in most countries, bread is eaten daily. It's not seasonal. Bread is a food you will find at the table of both the richest of people in the world and the poorest of people on earth. Jesus clearly identified himself as the true living bread that came down from heaven. He came not only for Israel, but he came for the whole world. Jesus did not come to feed the world with bread that will give them physical life. He came to give himself as the bread of eternal life for the whole world. And do you know what this tells me? Everyone from around the world can and should identify with this statement. Why? Because they know what bread is. 
Imagine if he said, I am the meat pie of the world, or I am the pavlova of the world, or I am the lamington of the world. You've wiped out three quarters of the world because they wouldn't understand. He doesn't say that. He says, I am the bread of life. Everyone across the world will know. Anyone from the world who trusts in Christ, the living bread, will be secure in their salvation. Believers receive eternal life through that living bread, and Jesus will never lose them. So the whole world is blessed by the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. There is also blessing to his followers. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. Jesus is the spiritual bread that gives and sustains spiritual life. And he has everything we need. The fact that he is the bread of life is a blessing to every believer because all we need for this spiritual life is found in him. And more than that, whatever we need, we already have in Jesus Christ. That is the blessing to all his followers. To those that eat of him and drink of him, from the spiritual point of view, they will never be hungry and thirsty again. And the final blessing is to his church. Now, please hear me, and what I'm about to say is only my opinion. Do you know you don't grow a church by looking to its pastor? You don't grow a church by looking to its leaders. You don't grow a church by having the best programs or the best coffee in the foyer. For me, and me personally, I believe a church grows when the church are eating and drinking from the bread of life. Eating and drinking from the one who came down from heaven. How do we do that? It's exactly the same way we do it as individuals. As a church, we should be surrendering all our hopes, aspirations and expectations expectations and coming under his. As a church, he is our living bread of life. When a church gets it right, when the church is eating and drinking of him, then the Lord will add to them daily. The church is blessed. At the time of World War II was drawing to a close, a story is told how the combined armies gathered together and picked up many hungry orphans. These children were placed in camps where they were well fed. However, despite the excellent care the children received at these camps, the carers had great trouble in getting the children to sleep through the night. During the night, they seemed to be very nervous and afraid. Finally, a psychologist came into the camps with an idea. Each child was given a piece of bread to hold once they were put to bed. The children were told this piece of bread was just to be held. You're not allowed to eat it. You are there just to hold it. Well, to everyone's surprise, the piece of bread produced wonderful results in these children. The children went to bed and slept mostly throughout the night. The children went to bed knowing that they would have food ready for the next day. That guaranteed the children and they got a restful night's sleep. As you go to bed tonight, will you wake up tomorrow knowing not that you have the bread of life in your hands, 
but that Jesus, the bread of life, has you in his. Is he your bread of life? May God bless you as you try to serve him.